Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. 53106 is our text number that will cost you uh, 30 cents. Just to remind you, we are giving away two tickets uh, to uh, the uh, Gabriel Burns uh, Walking with Ghosts in the, in the Gaiety Theatre. If you want a chance of, uh, of winning them, uh, answer this question. Who did Gabriel Byrne play in Miller's Crossing? Text the word ghost, your name, your answer, where you are in the country, to 53106. That will cost you uh, 30 cents. Joanna Fortune uh, is with us once again. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, right, here's your first question. My 10-year-old daughter in recent months is saying she's fat and that she hates her body she's tiny and physically fit she never hears me criticise my own body or mention diet or weight I don't know where this is coming from she's also been saying she doesn't want to grow up She's afraid of getting breasts and her body changing. I've always talked freely about that and bodies in an age-appropriate language. But when her class got a talk last year on puberty, she came home sobbing and was desperately upset every night for weeks after. Other girls in her class thought it was all great fun and begged their mums for training bras. She was one of the youngest in her year and that was one of the reasons we moved her to another school and she's repeating the same year. Her new classmates are her age or younger... I thought this was help as she wouldn't be exposed to all the older girl talk about boys, boobs, etc. But she's still saying she hates her body and doesn't want to grow up. I'm fearful she will develop an eating disorder to try and stop puberty. I noticed this week she's getting breast buds on one side and she's very upset at nights in particular. Oh, the poor poor thing. thing. And that's so much, isn't it, to deal with? And I'm really struck here, you know, as a a parent, as a mum, you're saying, you know, you don't know where she gets it from because you don't criticise your body. You don't mention diets or weight, which is great. You know, these are things we do need to be Mm. consciously aware of. But as well as consciously not criticising our bodies, we also need to be very conscious that our children hear us compliment our bodies and speak kindly about our bodies. So it's not enough not to say bad things. We have to also ensure that they hear us be good and kind and speak about what our bodies can do over what they look like. Yes. You know that we appreciate the health and the flexibility and the fitness and the stamina of our bodies. You know, and also be aware that we can do our bit as parents, but we are always competing against a, I'm going to call it a body industry, you know, all kinds of layers in that. Um, That is a multi-billion euro industry targeting our children from the youngest ages. So this is something that just not saying anything or not mentioning the diet word isn't always enough. And I think that's a part of this, but I don't think it's all of it because I think some of linking her body disdain, if you like, um, is actually to do with pending changes that she's not going to be able to stop and the awareness of, oh, this is coming for me, whether I want it there or not. And that sense of being out of control about it. And you're right, you know, when we feel out of control about something, it's quite natural that we would switch our focus to, well, what aspects of this can I control? And these the life changes around puberty, the body changes, the hormone, the mood, everything associated. Basically, they're unfamiliar. They're unpredictable in terms of, you know, the when and the how. The fact that it's coming is predictable. But when and what will it look and feel like? That's quite intangible. And then it can elicit all kinds of fear and anxiety associated. And she may well, and it's not unusual at all, to be honest, at her age, want to hold on to the comfort of childhood. You know, that's safe. Yes, of course. You know, it's so natural. And kind of fearful of losing control of her body, which again, I can understand. You know, I, I really think that girls this age can become 
very fearful of what they perceive as the disempowerment of puberty. You know, my body's going to change shape and size. I'm going to have to behave in a certain way. I'll have to be conscious of how I appeal to others. I'm going to experience menstruation. I mean, there's a whole lot to get your head around. And we really want to try and restructure this to focus on how what does your changing body, what does ent- entering puberty mean for you in a positive strength focused way and structure it with excitement about what growing up brings, new opportunities, new independence. Look at all the things you'll be able to do that you weren't able to do when you were younger. I think you can also connect with her through now positively reframed, please, stories of your own experience of this process while acknowledging that you also were nervous and uncertain and fearful, but looking at, you know, and while, yeah, there was this was difficult and it took me a while to get used to it, I actually did get used to it and I was able to do all of these other things because lack of control over our bodies is a scary feeling it re- in all kinds of ways. What I'm going to suggest you do is, first of all, have a think about the resources that you're using to enable this conversation about puberty. Um, For example, and always read everything yourself first as a parent before you, you know, open it in the post or order it in a bookshop and hand it straight to your child because different children need different levels and different types of information. But there is a, I mean, there's a podcast for everything, but there is one, you know, the puberty (laughs) podcast is there and it can give you really nice kind of more playful, positive language around talking about these things, addressing the fears, not avoiding them, but doing it in a positive way. And there's a variety of books. I mean, I I can certainly name one or two books, but trust me, there are hundreds of books in this area. So Mm, have a look at a few. You can, for girls, because this is the letter is about a girl, celebrate your body and its changes too. There is a boy version of that, the body image book for girls. Again, there's a boy version of that too. So you can mix up body image, but also looking at changes in a positive way. When you're talking with her, I don't want you jumping in to fix it and say, oh, it's not a big deal. It happens to everyone. and This Mm, is normal. This is healthy. Because while that's all true, it's not helpful when you're in a a sort of fear spiral or an anxiety space. Instead, listen and reflect back to her what you're hearing her say. Acknowledge and validate her fears and then wonder together about, I think I know a few ways that this could feel easier. Is that something you want me to help you with? Mm. And go slow and steady with this. I mean, she's 10 years old. I'm not going to say you've got time yet because puberty can happen any time from like nine years old onwards. But maybe revisit how this school talk was done. And could you redo it now within your safe, secure relationship with her and say, you know, okay, it might have been weird hearing that information from a stranger. Let's you and me sit down and break this down. What is it you're afraid of? What worries you most? Let me see what I can do to help you with this and keep the conversation going. Don't let her avoid it. Keep going as you are about the body stuff in terms of what the body can do, uh, focusing on fitness and healthy, you know, stamina and, you know, again, what all our bodies are capable of away from body size. But don't dismiss her language around body size. If that's what her worry is, let her worry with you rather than worry on her own. Yeah. Someone says, poor little thing, I really think it is a fear of losing childhood and maybe even fear of being a woman. I wonder, is there something inside her that thinks she won't be loved when she's not a little girl? Or is is she afraid she won't be uh, the parent's little girl anymore and that her relationship with her parents will change? I had a bit of that in the back of my mind when puberty started, that I would be uh, would be less loved by my parents somehow. 
uh, I had no messages. Uh, I had no bad messages from my parents to base this fear on. It was just all in my head. Yeah. And there's so much going on around puberty in terms of hormonal changes too. And you anyway, can feel yeah. less pleasant in yourself. You can have more negative thinking. It's all part of it. But then you will also be going, well, of course they don't love me as much. I'm not as lovable as I used to be. Aww. But so you can almost reinforce that. But the fear of losing childhood is a big one. Yeah. It really is. So look at the things that you will always keep doing. Look at what is consistent in her life, no matter what, and emphasize that. Yeah. I have two girls. One is five. The other is five months. The elder interacts well with the younger one, even above my expectations. Hugs her, makes her laugh and only rarely gives her a little push. <laughs> However, sometimes when I go into the other room uh, to put the baby to sleep, the older one starts complaining that I never spend time with her and that I stay all the time with the little one. What could I reply to that? As a reply, I sometimes plan with her some activity we will do together after the baby is asleep. Other times, a reminder that we already did to get what we already did together, or what I did for her that day, as if she seems she forgot. What else could I say? Oh, she hasn't forgotten. No, no. <laughs> she knows. She's just letting you know. You know, not so long ago, I had all of you to myself. I didn't have to share you at all. She's five years old. Her sister is five months old. So for four and a half glorious years, I was your sole focus. And, you know, the fact that she resents sharing you doesn't mean that she resents her sister. She clearly doesn't resent her sister. You know, what you're describing is lovely and positive and that's great. But I think, you know, and while the instinct is to go, but sure, you and I did this, this and this. And okay, Mm. let's do something now. It's not just about let's do, let's do. Sometimes it's about accepting that it's hard for her to share you and empathising with that as her experience so that you can acknowledge and go, you're right. You know, before your sister came along, it was just us. But now there's more of us. And you know what? You don't get any less of me because I have enough for both of you and then you want to structure it and it might be I'm I'm struck by the example of going to bed and it might be a while since you you know put your five-year-old to sleep if you know what I mean yeah you yeah know. she might because it might be dad who's doing if or you a dad know you took or somebody her else in is doing and you let that, her yeah. go to sleep on her own at this stage yeah. maybe and so it might be her way of going well I don't get that from you it's very hard for her to remember being five months old it can mm. be hard for us parents by the way to remember them being five months old but you can get creative around that mm. too and say well when you were five months old this is what we did and we would sing to you and this and that and you know do a new routine with her around bedtime I'm not saying you lie down with her and sing her all the way to sleep, but do something nurture based around bedtime. If it's particularly around the sleep piece and her seeing, you give to her sister something she's not getting. Yeah, yeah. Just which I imagine is how is like after you put the five month old to bed, you feel like going to bed yourself, oh, uh, to be honest. Absolutely. Uh, and a five month old is a, is a new baby. This yeah. is all, you know, t- a whole lot going on. So your daughter is actually reacting out loud to things you also recognise. So you can empathise from that place mm. of, I know it is tiring. I know I yes. don't get to give you all of this. <laughs> Let's look at what we can do and just reinforce. I think sometimes our children just really want to know that we've heard their protest, mm. that we've heard their struggle. Not that we go in and minimise it, dismiss it and fix it for them, but we actually go, yeah, it is hard. And I really appreciate your patience and you're so kind to your sister and you really help me out. And together we're getting through it. Yeah. 
Plus also, five-year-olds might be prone to hyperbole at times. And a phrase they like, you never spend time, time with me doesn't maybe mean exactly that. Of course not. And that's why, you know, you rushing in to say, oh, but we did. Look what we did mm. and look what we can do. It's not about that. Because those absolutes show that kind of concrete, literal thinking of nobody listens to me. <laughs> it's always my fault. Worst you day of my life. You know, <laughs> massive statements are really about a reflection of, you know, my feelings are really big about this. Yes. Yeah. My teenage daughter has a huge problem with germs. She has to shower every day at least two or three times, depending on what she encounters. She washes her hands an incredible amount to the point of them being very sore and broken. Her clothes have to be washed in the machine in high hygiene steam cycle. She can't eat with us anymore at the table or sit watching TV with us as other outside factors might have touched off the seats or table, etc. She has one safe place and that's her bed. I sent her to counselling, but feel she needs more specialised germ facts or help. Would you know if there is any specialist in this area that could help us? Also worth noting, uh, this is not since COVID. This is from a school incident that traumatised her and is just getting worse and worse. Oh, my goodness, because this is, yeah, this is quite pronounced. And, uh, you know, I, and I appreciate this parent saying that it's not since COVID. I imagine COVID did not help, help because yeah. it legitimised a lot of these symptoms. And for anyone who was already experiencing a germ phobia or, you know, some kind of obsessionality around hygiene and cleanliness, COVID did almost legitimise yes, excessive hand washing. Yeah. So that may have amplified, but I fully appreciate didn't cause this. Now, in one way, like you've all, you've this kind of I sent her to counselling. I don't really know what that means or what that was or is she still there or how long did she go or was that an adolescent specialist? So I that that statement kind of gives me more questions. Okay. So I'm going to ask this parent to think about that. You know, what what kind of a counsellor was it? Was it somebody who specialises in working with adolescents? And on the surface, you know, when if you were to go to your GP and I'm sure you have and if you haven't, please do because they can refer you to your local CAMs or local services around this or offer some support themselves. But, you know, they're going to look at CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy for symptom management, because that can be effective for some people when we're looking at symptoms like this. I'm using that kind of can be and some people language because A, she's an adolescent and also you specifically say there was a school incident that traumatised her. Now, we don't know what that is, but an underpinning traumatic experience I would like that looked at because this the overt hygiene, obsessional hand washing and the showering. The, I mean, it's quite pervasive mm. across her life. You don't mention if it affects her going to school, um, but it, it's very impactful on her home life and only feeling safe in her own bedroom, not able to eat or relax with family. That's quite significant and pronounced. I would like the trauma that's underpinning those overt symptoms explored. So an adolescent psychotherapist, an adolescent psychologist, somebody who specialises in working with adolescents and ideally has a a specific training or experience in working with trauma um, that they could support her in processing the underpinning trauma, which in itself, when that alleviates, could in turn Mm -hmm. lead to a decrease in these symptoms or a combination of that psychodynamic therapy with some CBT to manage the overt symptoms in parallel, a a combined or blended modality approach. But I think you are at a stage where you really do need to speak with a mental health professional about this. And again, you're asking, like, is there someone who specialises in this symptom? I think the real underpinning symptom is 
the trauma and her developmental space of adolescence. Find somebody who specialises in those areas through your GP or a membership organisation like, you know, there are a number of them, but ICP, the Irish Council of Psychotherapy or PSI, Psychological Society of Ireland, will have a list of accredited, qualified people who specialise in specific areas. Yeah. And I mean, as you say, it sounds like it's something obsessional uh, uh, that's going on. Yes, it does. So, so. Facts about germs isn't going to help no, here. No, no, because that's not what it's about. Yeah. I, I don't need you to. In fact, you know, you could give her facts about germs. She will quote you reams of facts about germs. Yes. There's nothing she doesn't know about germs. It's not about the reality or rationality. This is beyond that. This is an mm. irrational impulse that she can't control. Yeah. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. We do have to take a break after that. How do I talk to a 14 year old about their weight gain? Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. 53106 is our text number that will cost you uh, 30 cents. Joanna Fortune is still with us. I'm looking for advice on how to approach my 14-year-old's weight gain. Since last June, his tummy is becoming more pronounced. I know he's conscious of it, as he has mentioned it. Unfortunately, he has no interest in sport or other physical activity. He loves drawing and sedentary activities like reading. He will walk the dog. But this can only happen at the weekend as he's away at school during the week. I'm nervous how to approach it as I starved myself for years thinking I was fat when I wasn't. I overcame my problem and I'm pretty healthy and active now and neither of us are into sugary drinks, etc. I'm, I'm terrified of doing to him what I did to myself, i.e. counting every calorie. How should I approach the topic? And, and secondly, how should I support him thereafter? It's only him and me, no dad or siblings. Oh, I mean, there's, I, okay. I mean, I just think, you know, it's such a good example. The whole body positivity movement and body positivity awareness, it affects boys too, but it's less often spoken about yes. for yeah. boys or, you know, there's less male voices in that area. So, you know, again, like the focus would always be on what the body can do, the importance of movement. That doesn't have to be full on exercise workouts yeah. movement is exactly what it says it's movement of any kind because that's uh, the sedentary word is really jumping out at me there and a focus on health and happiness over weight because weight doesn't equate with health and happiness as this parent has experienced um, herself. Now the thing is because I just want you to be really careful that you have a history of eating disordered behaviour yourself, you've recovered from it but I hear the fear in this of Mm. oh what if, what if I trigger this and be really aware of how triggering this all might be for you as well and link into any supports that you might need so that you can keep supporting him because as always we do lead by example with our, our children. I mean, he's away at school during the week and I'm, you know, when I'm kind of assuming that means a boarding school situation, but also that will often mean that food is handed to him, right? So that it's not like he's feeding himself. I'm sure there's some, I'm sure there's some access to that, you know, a tuck shop or whatever, but he, what is he eating there and what is his activity level during the week? And then how can you bring a bit of that taking his interest? He likes to draw, for example. So can you go for a nice walk somewhere to somewhere he can draw something using the dog piece at the weekend? Um, I do think that you want to look at the movement. The fact that he mentioned it to you 
I'm not clear. How did he mention it? In what context? Was it a statement, an observation, a question, a worry? Mm, what was the yeah. emotional quality to him it mentioning it? Could have been it? a passing comment, or exactly. Could have been, like, to tell you something. He's yeah. also 14, so his yeah. body is going to be changing. You know, so is this about? Has he got growing left to do? Is he about to take a growth spurt? What is this? So I think rather than you try to fix this, because I really am mindful this parent has a history themselves and really needs not to get activated. Maybe say to him, you know, especially if he brings it up again or you can revisit and say, you know, you brought this up with me and I'm aware I don't think we really talked about it or I'm not sure did you want me to do something that I haven't done. I could get you an appointment with somebody who knows about healthy food and about body movement way more than I do. Is that something you would like me to do? Mm. And you could make contact with somebody who specialises in adolescent dietetics or anything like that. But I suppose even beyond that, I don't want to make that leap that he needs a dietitian yet because I don't know what bigger means either. Be curious about how is he relating to food in his life? Do you infer that this is because he's not exercising therefore? Um, or is it because he's eating excess food than what his body actually needs? And is he using food as a comfort? And if so, why would he be seeking comfort and how else could he be comforted, if you like, away from food, that you break that association with food as comfort. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple of things about that. I think you do want to explore how you can get more, how he can get more movement into his life. And again, there are so many ways of doing that that don't involve him being team sport oriented because team sports at his age are generally quite competitive. Yes. So if you're not, it's not something you enjoy or are very good at. That isn't terribly appealing. Mm. But, you know, there are lots of you know, those kind of gym centres or, you know, there's a youth arm of a lot of those kind of CrossFit type places that do for for adolescents, for young people. And again, it's about teaching connection, camaraderie, collaboration. And it's not about your weight. And this. it's yes, about yeah. looking at what your body can do. I would think at 14, I'd want him interested in that. I wouldn't want him going, why do you want me to do that? He needs to want to do it. Yeah. So yeah. again, be curious about why was he remarking on it to you? Yeah. Yeah, I kind of get the sense from this parent that she's she's she'd much rather somebody else, you know, dealt with this because she, she's worried she's going to get obsessional about it. But you know what? The fact that she's even noticing his tummy. I think I it's know. sensible to hear your own fear and oh, caution. Oh, yeah, that absolutely. Because yeah. when you are, you know, when you have recovered or are in an ongoing state of recovery from eating disordered thinking, anything like this can be very triggering yeah. because you're worried you're going to under respond or over respond or what is the right thing. And what's really important is you manage your own triggers and activation as well, because that certainly isn't going to help him or you. So it might be that if you feel very triggered by it, link in with your own support services again, because again, you don't say how you overcame it. But however you did, go back to what worked for you. Mm. Touch base with somebody that can help and support you through it. And just stay open minded and curious about what's going on for him. Is this a sort of adolescent growth thing? Is it unhealthy eating or excessive eating beyond what his body needs? And is he curious about alternatives to team yeah. sports for, for movement? And if not, could you spark some of that curiosity in him? He does walk the dog. So I am hearing that. I like that. And could that be built on, you know, at the weekends as well? Could there be more walking? Could that become a bit of hill walking? Could that become a bit more distance? Things like that. Yeah. Somebody's texting in to say, check if that child is on social media. Well, you know, of course he's on social media. I'd assume so. Uh, Many parents are reporting rapid onset dysphoria from Mm -hmm. that, especially in girls. I've heard it recently compared to the huge rise of anorexia in the 70s and 80s. 
Well, you're bombarded with so much messaging and mm. influence online and influence, you know, as a business, you know, it's not a it's not I'm seeking to influence you in any particular way. I'm selling. It's a word for selling and marketing, generally speaking. Yeah. So, you know, you do need to know what his influences are, but also how are our young people integrating that? Because lots of young people will be on social media and it won't affect them that way. Yeah. So it's yeah. not everyone. So just link in with him and what's landing with him. And again, go back to what was that comment about for him? We're a family of four really struggling. Our five-year-old has become very aggressive over the last six months. She thumps and kicks. Myself and our seven-year-old sister get the brunt of it. She never behaved like this before and I'm struggling to find a way to deal with it. She has unlocked the front door and walked out in anger a few times saying she doesn't want to be part of the family. I've given up on consequences and punishment as I feel they make her aggression worse. But I'm finding it very hard to dig deep and find compassion when she's thumping me over and over. I end up shouting and make it worse and I'm working on that. We are lucky that our seven-year-old is very calm and doesn't hit back. She is very clear though that she's also fed up with getting thumped on a daily basis. I reduced my hours in 2020 to spend more time with my kids after school but starting to dread home now uh, as there's always some meltdown, not sure what to do. Yeah, it's a situation. Yeah, the situation is overwhelming. Um, But you're saying, you know, that she never behaved like this before. So I suppose I'm curious about, you know, what was the triggering event Mm. or experience or is there nothing? And actually what as a much as a younger child than even five, what was just seen as, you know, typical temper tantrums now are not developmentally appropriate, but actually were they ever typical temper tantrums? So sometimes we're looking at where does this actually have its roots? Because what you're describing here at times certainly sounds beyond anger. It sounds like rage. And because anger isn't a problem, what we do with our anger can be problematic. But anger is as healthy an emotion as any other. And at times in our life, it's exactly how we're supposed to feel. So we don't psychopathologize anger, but we look at how is it expressed or is it pervasive? Is it context specific? You know, what's going on with the anger? Um, There is a book coming to my mind. I think it's I'm going to forget the title now and I will actually put it on my own social media later when I remember. I think it's called I See Red. Britta, somebody, we've mentioned it before on here and I I will have have, a think about it again. But it's a nice book that really helps for young children to think about what anger looks like, how it starts, how it gets overwhelming, how it engulfs them and how we can manage it and come out of it. And it, have It's called When When I See Red by Britta uh, Teckentrup. Teckentrup, that's yeah. it. And it's a really nice book actually for doing that and helping. And again, look, at there's a book for everything. There's plenty mm-hmm. of those. And this isn't as simple as having a book. Um, I, I really think, you know, you're talking about she's unlocked the front door and walked out. That's quite an impulsive act. Wow, yeah. yeah. And there's obviously um, safety issues with that. So in lots of ways, you're going to look at at five, she has a very limited range of emotional fluency and expression. That's something that you're going to have to nurture and develop in her. You can do, and again, some of what I'm about to suggest is best done when you're not in this heightened battle, in this heightened state of rage, because it's very difficult for you to be heard when she has flipped her lid. Mm. Words are not going to get you there. Okay, it's about almost riding that wave and getting her down from it as quickly and as safely as you can. When she's calmer, you want to instill this awareness of a range of emotional expressions through a body map. You know, again, we've spoken about that, but lie down on a big piece of paper like wallpaper lining or art roll paper. 
trace around her whole body, have her get up, have a range of markers or crayons and say, what colour is anger? What colour is excited? What colour is happy? What colour is sad? A whole load of them. She colours in her body where each feeling lives and she gets to see she is not the angry child in your family. She is a child who sometimes feels angry Mm. and sometimes feels a whole range of other feelings that make her up. And it allows her to see that if I'm angry, I can also be happy. I can also be calm. I can also be. And it helps her to build up that language. Um, You could also do kind of anything to do with Jenga blocks and feelings, Jenga writing, feeling words on the blocks or doing it with the coloured blocks. And when she any of you playing this pop out a block, you tell a story of when you felt that feeling. So she's also hearing she's not the only one who sometimes is angry. Everybody has times they're angry and she gets stories about that. I would make sure you have a very inclusive sort of play kit at home that includes frustration toys that can be foam baths. Um, you can get like foam bricks. You can get things that are a damatol. You can get things that you can bash and throw safely that aren't going to hurt you, anything physically or any other person mm. in the environment, but also are positively enabling a release of this kind of anger and tension that she's holding. Um, you can use the ACT, acknowledge the feeling. I know you're really angry because of whatever, if there is a reason. Yeah. Um, you're not allowed hit in this family. We don't hit people in this family because C is to communicate a limit. And then you target an alternative when you feel like hitting something and you redirect her to those frustration toys that are there to enable her to yes. release that tension. So I just wondered about how and only you can answer this yourself. How is anger engaged within your family? Because if we are very kind of averse to engaging with anger and aggression, it can amplify the one member of the family who does it out loud. It can feel like, oh, my gosh, you're taking over. All of that said, this is a heightened level of rage in a a very young child. If you think there was a triggering event or experience, if you are worried that this is over and above what we've been talking about, I would suggest you bring her to see somebody. Yeah. Um, and that would be, you know, a play based therapist. Go to your GP if you're anyway worried about her developmentally or if this is affecting her in any other way that you get her referred for an assessment or a developmental assessment in general. But I think offering her access to somebody who specializes in processing difficult feelings in therapeutic ways like a play based therapist could be very helpful here. Uh, finally. I'm just going to read this because it might affect many other kids as well. My daughter's school reports are always very good. However, her performance in tests does not reflect her ability because she suffers nervousness and fright before and during these tests. Her teacher acknowledges that this is the case. She's 11 years old. Oh, you know, it's yeah. I mean, it's not about her being bright or able because she clearly Mm. is. It's about the idea of being tested because the minute we think about being tested, there's the possibility of failure. So it can mm. be very triggering. And I, I, I can identify with this. I was a child and a teenager who did fine in school, but did not test well because the as soon as someone said driving test included, you know, I don't I won't tell you how many times I did that. <laughs> but, you know, like as soon as someone said test, I was like, Oof. you know, it, it yeah. gave me that surge of rigidity and anticipation and all the things that work against us, because when we're aroused by anticipation, we actually struggle to take in and access cognitive information which is exactly what the test asks us to do. So it can be very, very difficult. Um, You know, so it's conditions alone. So I I think the she's 11. She's young in lots of ways. I'm sorry she's experiencing it this young. And in other ways, I'm really glad you see it because you've got lots of time to work with this 
prior to the tests having bigger stakes attached yeah, to them in second yeah. level school. So you could role play with this. You know, you could really kind of play out tests in a game show type of way. You know, hit the buzzer, mm. whoever hits the buzzer for you know, really play with it about here's a question. Do you know the answer? Do you know who gets the, the you win? That kind of idea. Anything yeah. like that is a really nice way to play with testing as a concept. Um, practice it at home so that you can set up, you know, fake test environment. OK, you're going to sit down, books off the table. I'm going to be the examiner. Here's your test and I'll sit here and here's the timer so that she gets to do it in a safe, controlled environment with you. And when I say here's the timer, I'm thinking of, you know, those 15, 20 minute timers yes, yeah. or even one question at a time with a five minute timer. They're much easier to get. You're just going to flick the sand. You've got five minutes to answer that question. OK, we're done now. How was that for you? Check in, co-regulate me and then go again. This time for maybe seven minutes, then two questions, three and build me up so that I get used to managing and mastering the tension associated with the experience. So I really think bringing in some challenge based play um, is going to be your friend here because it promotes that kind of collaborative mastering of tension in a safe way where the stakes really aren't high. Yes, you know, uh, It just strikes me there's so many kids uh, who are in a similar situation and always this, effort over outcome, Sean, as well. Like, yeah. I can't emphasise that enough. Like, don't be celebrating, hey, you got 10 out of 10. Celebrate that you really worked hard. You spent ages on your spellings. I can see that you worked so hard at this and look how hard you tried. Effort, effort, effort over outcome. Joanna, thanks a million as ever. Thank you. Uh, Joanna Fortune there. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. We're going to take a break after that. Tweeting with your mind. Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.